Yeah. So, and then I also did a 10K. Me and friend of the show, Dan Cantrick, are thinking about, well, we haven't really communicated about it, but Dan invited me to run a half marathon at the end of the summer. So I've been secretly training. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Oh, yes. We're going in as cold as the sushi that I just finished, Bob. We're going in ice cold. <laughs> Was the rice well done? Um, Yeah. It was uh, from a, a nice local sushi called Lucky's Grocery Store. Mm. And it was, they gave me a big old dollop of wasabi today. And what'd you do and with that dollop? I took a spoon and just spooned it right into my mouth. <sighs> and you know that like when you get those like five or six seconds of like, oh God, what's going to happen? And you're just like about to explode. And then you explode and your body just starts convulsing. Oh my God. <laughs> Wasabi is a pretty interesting, um, what have you. Yep. Culinary creation. Yeah. Uh, it was, and you know what? Here's the thing, Bob. Sushi is not my favorite Japanese food. Yaki, yakisoba. Am I right? <laughs> No, uh, good one. Good reference. But no, it's ramen. But ramen. A type of yakisoba. Right. Or at least that's what uh, Big Brother would have you believe. Uh. My, my Big Brother. <laughs> well, Bob, how'd your week go? Um, It's going pretty well. I got to say, I'm just really enjoying March Madness, Dave. Oh, nice. I guess I'm not surprised to hear that. But yeah, what what are you liking best about it? You got the mayhem. Yeah. I I like that there are tournaments happening again after two years. It was the only US major um championship to be fully canceled during the huh, pandemic. Yeah. And so it's feels good to have it back. And it's, it's so wild. The, the way that that tournament is run with the, the true madness on the first day, but with yeah. uh, just, there's just so many games, just games popping off off of games. It's just hard to follow all, all these games. And then the games themselves, you have these wild endings and wild upsets. The, maybe the, the most just delicious upset yesterday was little Ab- Abilene Christian in Abilene, Texas, knocked off that evil empire of the University of Texas. And when any small Texas school t- takes down big U of T, brings a huge smile to my mouth or to my to my face, Dave. Um, <laughs> I like that expression. The Abilene Christian's mascot is the same mascot as, as Texas State. They're also the Wildcats. So uh, I enjoyed seeing the Wildcats knock off the Longhorns last night. 
Huh. And uh, we, we're running a little pool this year with friends and family, and that's been a lot of fun to be engaging in that again, seeing who's getting the picks right. And I got to say, Rini Cantrick is, is something else at this point. She is just having a great year. So those are some of my thoughts. Have you been following it, Dave? Well, <clears throat> no. Not so much. Uh, I have been, yeah, I guess I have, but I feel like it just takes me back to the days where we used to just sit around and like have the TV on like all day. And it's like, that's all I'm doing today. It's like watching the games and seeing what, where it leads. So I've, I did watch all the CU basketball game as they beat Patrick Ewing um, and the Hoyas. And that was real sweet. And we got another game tomorrow against Florida State, which should be a an interesting matchup. I don't know if we've ever played them, have we? Um, not that I remember. Not in basketball. Yeah. So, anyway, it should be fun. And we've never made it past the first weekend, right? We've never won two games in the NCAA tournament. And by we, I mean the CU Buffaloes, the Gentle not Buffs. In our lifetime. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, maybe back in the day with uh, Byron Wizard White or whatever his name was. He didn't play basketball, but <laughs> I got you for that one. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I did see that the disparity between the men's and the women's, like, uh, I think it was the gym equipment. Is that right? Yeah, it was a lot of things. Gym equipment, the food, the accommodations. It was just awful. Just. Yeah, unacceptable. Yeah, and not a surprise whatsoever, but also just like a good a good gut check if you will, a good reminder for us for us of what the disparity in this country looks like. And it's just always there. It in some way shape or form it will pop up. So, I don't know. I I wish that we were indoctrinated into loving women's sports. And I it's hard to like turn that knob that like to just like <sighs> I've tried it a few times just becoming a fan especially on this show over the last two years remember when I was a fan of the Marble Olympics and I was yep. watching them all the time and then I was a random fan of um, I started becoming a Milwaukee Bucks fan and a Portland Trailblazers fan which is great and I am definitely a fan but I just feel like there's something different about being raised to love a certain team and then just trying to become a fan of that team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It goes so deep and it's just so hard to plant those, those new trees. Um, but I think it just takes a while. You know, I think it could happen. It would just take a little bit of commitment over a period of some years. I, uh, I did find myself enjoying the CU buffs, the, uh, the not the gentle buffs, but the other team. Yep. They are in the NIT and they've won their first two games. I was real disappointed that they didn't get into the big the big dance themselves. Uh, yeah. Uh, they got a great team. And they knocked off Stanford earlier in the year. And oh, one cool. of their players first name is Peanut. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yep. I can't remember her last name, but yeah. If we do need to shift the culture, and we really should have 
done a, a bracket on the women's side as well. But just, yeah, it's all about that. You know, just it takes that extra effort, you know, and mm-hmm. certainly should happen. But when it's hard enough to organize one bracket, that's what yeah. happens, I guess. But that's no excuse. True. Next time we'll do better. Good, Bob. Yeah. Well, I I like the idea of naming my daughter Peanut Peach Tree. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? The old Peanut Peach. Is Peanut Peach Tree here? Man, I just feel like mom's going to hate that comment. Unsubscribe. <laughs> if, if she knew how to unsubscribe from a podcast, she'd be hitting that button right now. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be great to get a a youtube subscriber because i know you you publish this thing to to youtube oh yeah i do don't i i know yeah. i don't do it on purpose i the podcast and app just allows me to publish to youtube simultaneously by hitting the publish button that's right yeah so well bob yeah i'm uh i'm sitting here at the end of my spring break all right yeah, how are you feeling about all that? On the the day after the vernal equinox, as they call it, as we spring into spring, and I'm looking at 10 weeks left of school. I I don't know. I'm feeling there's this idea that I've really attached to that's called the Sunday scaries. And it's this idea that like you kind of get crippled on Sunday as a teacher, like thinking about going back to work and school and you have so much to do and you start being like, Oh God, Oh God, I have so much to do. I feel like at the end of a break, the Sunday scaries like starts on Saturday. And so today has been kind of a, mm, just sort of a down type of day, you know, Mm. it's overcast, it's gloomy. And I don't know. I'm not, it's okay. It's just hard. It's hard to go from just like chilling out and drinking coffee all day and hanging out and with friends and family and then go back to doing this like very intensive like job. So. Yeah. What, uh, what was your favorite moment? Your favorite memory of spring break? That's a good question. I, I don't know if there was a single moment, but I went on four really amazing runs. So the first day of spring break, we got two feet of snow in Colorado. And the day after, the roads were plowed and the sun was out, and it w- I was able to go on a run uh, with just like these towering walls of snow on both sides of me. That was really sweet. And I was just like, man, this feels incredible. and. Yeah. So, and then I also did a 10K. Me and friend of the show, Dan Cantrick, are thinking about, well, we haven't really communicated about it, but Dan invited me to run a half marathon at the end of the summer. So I've been secretly training. And I feel like it'd be a pretty fun goal to just like, uh, we're not going to like register for anything, but just to be like, hey, let's do it. Let's go run a half marathon. But, you know, a 10K is like half a half marathon. So, like, I got back from this hour-long run, and I was just, like, wasted, so tired. Just, like, limping home, basically. 
And then I was like, man, a half marathon is like basically you get to the door and you just do the same run again. And then a full marathon is you do that. You after you finish your half marathon, you do it tw- four total times. Four total. T- it's like forty k. It's incredible. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, can you say the half marathon? How many? How many k is a half marathon? Is it exactly twenty k? Yeah, it's exactly twenty k to the to the dot. That might not be true, but let's just assume it is. We don't need any fact checks. Yeah. But, you know, we do have a lot of runners that listen to the podcast, you know? Katie Gillespie did a full marathon. Uh, Pete Dalen's a big-time runner, which is great. A lot of, you know, Helen Maisler is a Boulder Boulder winner. So maybe some, one of these days we'll break down the old, the old running, the technique, the born-to-run, the art of running. But for now, we'll just leave it there. Are you finished grading, Bob? No, I'm not. I have one more on this topic. It's funny. I, I know you said don't look it up, but I did do the old Google. Um, like, uh, Good. Call it? Just, Keep me in check. <laughs> Google, like, I, I can't think of the word where you change one unit into another. Maybe exchange. <laughs> I know what that is, but I'm not going to tell you because you didn't listen to me. This is our first podcast fight, by the way. All right. It's called conversion. <laughs> conversion. Google conversion. And I just yeah. had to mention because one of the units of le- measurement that they have in there is the marathon. So Whoa. I have how many marathons? So I plugged in 0.5 marathons. And how many Ks is it? 21 Ks. 21 Ks. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. That's a lot of Ks. That's Yeah, uh, that is. That's almost Carrie Wood level of K's. Oh, it's beyond <laughs> Carrie Wood K's. Yeah. The most in a major league baseball game is 20, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. So thanks for looking that up. Make me look like a fool in front of all of our <laughs> listeners, Bob. <laughs> Nadir, edit it out, please. No, leave it in, Nadir. Leave it in. You leave this one in. <laughs> So, yeah, are you on spring break or are you going right back to work? Yeah, I, I, I finished grading one of my classes. I have two left. So probably take me rest of the day into tomorrow, possibly into Tuesday. So grading eats up a third of my spring break. It'll, it'll probably be. Um, and then I, yeah, then I'll have a little bit of spring break. And if I can, you know, just give myself a little bit of time. I'm going to try to do something like uh dive into Big Sur. So, next time you you see me on the show, Dave, ask me how Big Sur was. Oh, good. Good, Bob. Sweet. Well, I'd say we turn those knobs and dial it up to 11 and good, Dave. let's get into it. Yeah. We'll unpack some of that luggage as we get into our episode of baggage and i'm kind of excited about this we are going in cold sushi as it were uh we haven't really discussed it much we bob doesn't even know what i'm about to bring up but um i think he has a inkling one of the things that i feel that i really want to unpack a little bit is the idea of pain and for me and for you bob 
We are two people that have always carried our pain with us in the physical form. So when we suffer pain, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, or even mental pain, some type of anguish, we always manifest that into our physical bodies. Am I right in saying that, or should I not speak for you? Um, it's a strong statement. I think I see elements of it, yeah, in my own history. Yeah, and <clears throat> you know, I do tend to make strong statements, but yeah, of course, not all the time. But I feel like, for me, it like so much of my physical pain that I've carried all stems from my emotional core. And just for a little bit of a backstory, in 2007, I was living at home. I was 25 years old and I had moved back home. And I had done this in large part because our dad was getting sick. Um, he, he had been sick our whole life. He, has Parkin- he had Parkinson's disease, but his Parkinson's disease uh, turned up the dials from like five to 10. And it became very apparent that we needed some help. Um, what was happening, and this is a common thing of late, late stages of Parkinson's, is that um, dementia will start happening. So, and it's uh, basically every medication that helps uh, with movement in Parkinson's disease. One of the side effects is dementia or delusional thinking. And then not only that, but your brain. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what happens. I, the analogy I want to say is your brain kind of melts. Um, and I kind of feel like it took our dad forever for that to happen. And that I think is in large part due to his like physical or his spiritual and emotional connection to his, his physical form and his like strength in spirit. Um, but yeah, and we could go into that a little bit more too, cause that is sort of on topic, but yeah, he started getting this dimensional, this dimension, dementia, sorry, is what it's called. He started getting dementia and me, you and mom were like living, we all moved back home and we were kind of living in shifts because Helen was still working and you were, you took the late night shift from 3 a.m. till 5 a.m. And I would stay up with you until like 2 or 3 a.m. Then mom would wake up at 5 and then um, she had to leave for work and then I would get back up. And it felt like where we were just like really uniting as a family, but we needed to be at home. And all this to say, to set the stage for one of my like outlets was playing five-sided Fistagon soccer. And during one of the games, I bent over to pick up the soccer ball and my back just like went out. And I definitely spent the next four years of my life with just this severe back pain. And I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't figure out how to like alleviate it. And it would just like crop up at times. And I feel like this baggage that I was carrying with me of like taking care of my family with my family was just immense and it was too much for me to handle. And I wasn't finding any outlets for my emotional self into my, and so my physical form was just like carrying it. 
And it's like not just me, like mom and you had this intense physical pain. And it went on until dad passed away. And when he died, I, my back pain flared up again and I was out cold. And I've talked about this on the show a little bit, how I spent a whole month between Thanksgiving and Christmas, just basically on the floor writing grants for White Oak Farm. And yeah, it wasn't until I finally went to go see a homeopath to deal with the pain and she just started sobbing. And then I was like, oh man, there's something here. It's not just a physical pain. It is like something deeper. And I was able to start the healing process of connecting with dad. So that's kind of that's kind of the intro and the whole thing, um, <laughs> at least on my side, just that idea of baggage. But I'm also curious to get some of your reactions to all that. Yeah, I think what you're getting at is like, what is the emotional component to physical pain? And like, how interrelated is the psychology and the physiology, I guess, of uh, chronic pain and i guess that's like it's always different for different people and i yeah i I remember watching you and i remember you were going to the chiropractor in that time seeing doctors and it, it was true and like myself i consider myself a bit of an expert on back pain having you know uh, had back pain most of my life since I was a teenager. And it was a bit of a head scratcher. Like what, what might be going on physically with Dave in his back? I don't know that we ever got an MRI on you. Um, we didn't. So that would be interesting, but it was one in which it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I mean, it could have been because of like the level of pain, it was pretty excruciating. And so, I mean, I am no like super expert on like, yeah, maybe it could have been like this, this joint in here or something, but it did seem. And then the way that you recovered, um, after being in Peru and Mm -hmm. seeing the homie homeopathic medicine, medicine person. Yeah. That, that. That was really powerful to watch all that, that whole process with you. Um, I feel like my back pain is more, I ground it more in the discs of my back being herniated and putting pressure mm-hmm. on the, the sciatic nerve. I, I think, but I do think the emotional component is relevant in terms of i think what's really probably helpful helpful for both of us is when our our muscles are like loose and flexing and like the more that our muscles and our joints become like rigid from either sitting or actually stress like the stress of caretaking for dad and the stress of um yeah, being in bad positions, but also just, yeah, that like grief and stress. I think that has an ability to really rigidify the system. And it's not only the muscles in the joint, it's the fascia as well, that there's like this 
um, other membrane that I think sort of goes in between the muscles and the joint that's really important to keep the fascia loose and lubricated. And um, so I, I do think that like there's an emotional component to uh, making all those systems more rigid. That's how I see a lot of the emotion um, as connected to the physiology of it all. And there is a book, I think it's called like healing, healing your back that that doctor is very much of the position of like the psychological, emotional aspects are key to healing back pain. And it is interesting. I think that this comes up a lot with back pain in particular, um, probably could be other parts of the body as well, but the back pain part of it, you know, it does seem like we store a lot of sort of emotional stuff in the back. Um, if yeah, so uh, that's one of my reactions. And so I do, I believe in a part of it. I also believe in like not taking it too far and taking it to a place like overextending the argument where like people's pain is, is like just emotional or something like that. And that they're sort of making it up. And I don't think you're, you're doing that at all, but sometimes that argument takes, goes to that, that place. And, um, I, I just think it's always probably physical pain is often just a combination of what's happening physically in the, in the area. And I, but I do think there's always some kind of psychological component connected to that. Um, so those are some of my reactions, Dave. Yeah. <clears throat> I, let me just add on to that a little bit. I, there's this, um, there's these, these two sisters and one of them recently, her name's Amelia Nagowski, I believe. And, she recently came out with a book called burnout and people may have heard her on the Brene Brown podcast unlocking us. And I feel like you should go listen to that episode if you're, cause I'm going to bring up some of the points from that episode because it spoke to me in a lot of ways. And it's this idea of burnout being due to like st stress basically. Right. And us not being able to complete the stressors of our life. What I mean by that is like back in the day, you know, stressors were brought about by a lot of different things. Um, but really like we think about evolutionarily speaking, you know, we would go hunting and, you know, or we'd be chased by a lion or however, and we end like early humans would end the hunt and <clears throat> that hunt would end in, like a lot of different ways, the physical stress and we would be, sorry, the, the stress would be ended in a lot of different ways, but we expressed that stress physically almost all the time. And that is the idea of like running or being close to someone or communicating. And that's like the way that we were able, like if put yourself in the idea of being chased by like a saber tooth tiger, you're, you're, you're running away and to escape it, your body, like it's not the idea your mind is not able to unlock the the stress from being completed but you need to have that physical key to it 
And one of the arguments that Amelia makes in her book, Burnout, is that we are not doing a good job of complete, like telling our body that the stress is complete and in a physical form. So we're not taking, and she says the things that you need to do. Number one is you can go for a run and that will like end your physical, like your physical stress in that way. Or even just a long walk is good. But she also said that the idea of hugging, like just like falling into a hug with another person and that physical connection will is like, like a 30 second hug can be as good as running like four miles in, in terms of de-stressing. And the final thing is just communication, like being able to like sit down and gather, which is something that's harder to do these days, but finding that time of like, true connection are all the things that help signal our body to like be done with the stress rather than to hold on to it. Um, yeah. So it is an interesting idea and I just wanted to bring that up not to get too off topic, but I, I do like that idea because it's something I've been trying to hold on to a little bit on how to, how to take the stress that I can feel building up in my body and to release it. Because I, it's not just like, it's not just a mental task of being like, it's okay. Like I'm done. Like I finished my presentation or my job interview or what, what have you. It's the idea of really needing to complete the stressor in a physical, physical way. Yeah. That, that does seem good. Those are all, I, I, I like all those things. Those feel like all very helpful to release the stress or to complete it as you're talking about. And uh, yeah, that does also line up with some of the teachings from the psychology of trauma. Um, The idea Mm. of within trauma, there's studies of animals, non-human animals, like running after a trauma and, and shaking, actually like shaking their body. And so there are some psychologists who think that after a trauma, it's good to go like that with you, just shaking your hands like this. And um, something about that can help just not store the trauma. Um, And I think it's more complex than that with humans, but I I can see some value in that as well. And um, yeah, I, I, I think there's probably a lot of good research coming out in this area, like this idea of combining some of the psychology and the biology, um, the idea of fascia as being a part of this, which, you know, growing up, I didn't even know what fascia was. No one ever talked about that as being an important body system. Um, but yeah, so I guess this is all like we, in this, this, episode we, we pack this in we pack in the stresses or the traumas and then we hold them in our body and then this is like how, how to think about unpacking them and for see, see yeah with my back i don't know if i t- like i'm saying i'm not sure how much my back is related to this um but I can talk about how I've, how I have healed my back and yeah, I, 
I will say that the surgeries that I got, even though that they were kind of botched in a way, eventually, I think, helped me. And I saw change. And then I re-injured my back, but it wasn't the discs. It was the sacroiliac joint. And I think what's helped heal that is just a real strong awareness around back posture. And what seems to be very important for me is never getting into one position for too long, especially seating, sitting. So it's good for me to be standing, maybe a little sitting, then walking, then lying down in a given day. So kind of always like bouncing around and that, that does really help my back. Um, and, and movement, yeah, just movement in general is good for my back. Um, and actually coffee, drinking coffee is really good for it as well. And I think that's my theory of, um, like loosening my system, getting it more just loose. Coffee does that for me. And I guess it did coincide a little bit when dad passed as well, um, that I was still having more back pain up until 2020, 2012, 2013. And I think it's, yeah, but it, I think I was still having it kind of until even about 2015. And that's when I started making a a turn. And eventually I think I started playing soccer again in 2018 and then running again during the pandemic. So 2020, so it has been a slow process, Um, but I do feel in some of the best shape of my life, actually, in terms of my back these days, which is kind of remarkable to say. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly what to make of all this like physical baggage that we're carrying carrying around with us, but it is something that's marked both of our lives quite heavily. Uh, I am curious just to ask you a little bit about your shoulder because it seemed once your back started to heal, all your pain started to like surface and manifest in your shoulder. I'm curious. I know that that was like you know, come 2015, 2016, it seemed like, oh man, Bob is always ice in his shoulder and like his back's healed, but here he is again. He can't even like, you know, lift up a chopping knife or shoot a basketball. Yeah. I think my shoulder injuries started back in like 2007 ish. And it was, I, I see it as a combination of going back to playing softball and throwing a lot and then also getting the job at Hibachi, which required a lot of stress on the shoulder um, with pouring drinks and, and all that. And, and then I do think my body was like, my upper back was pretty frozen in those days. I wasn't moving enough. Um, so that injury, it, you know, with x-rays and MRIs on my shoulder, the uh, area in which the rotator cuff passes in the shoulder in my anatomy is very small in the first place. And then I had bone spurring probably because of um, playing baseball a lot. And um, maybe even the bone spurring started growing a little bit more when I started bartending. So that was putting more pressure. And I think the the muscles, if I had like maybe not had that back injury and those surgeries and my upper back would do more of the work, then I might not have had the pain, but it, it did get pretty bad in there. And I had to have sur- surgery 
many years later for that too. And the surgery did help because it opened up that space that the rotator cuff could go through. Um, so I do think that shoulder injury was connected to the back injury in terms of putting more stress on the upper back, which put more stress on the, the shoulder as well. Um, yep. And then the world is just putting stress all on top of you, Bob. Yep. You definitely carry the weight of the world a little bit on your shoulders. And as we all do, I, I don't know. I'm definitely of the mindset that we're all connected. Our systems are connected. Our, you know, your back's, your back pain leads to shoulder pain. Your mental pain leads to physical pain. And like the pain of the world manifests itself like in emotional and physical ways in our life. Meaning that like, I know that people are probably carrying a lot of pain still from 2020. And I think that that idea of our physical form holding on to pain and like the pain that we experience can be experienced in so many different ways. I'm reminded of a, a friend from high school and she would always get strep throat. She got strep throat like 10 times in the course of like the two years that I knew her. And I feel like it was, it's just like one of those things. She is just like susceptible to this idea of strep throat or something in her system is like not fighting off the, the strep, the virus or the bacteria. Um, and yeah, I think we, or it's like a weak point if whether and whatever is happening, it's a weak point. It was a weak point in her. And I think it's a nice thing to do, to do some introspection on what is the cause, because I feel like we can all intuit the cause of what's actually happening. And it might not come right away. It's not like you can just like sit and meditate for 15 minutes and be like, oh yeah, this is all because, you know, this is just a physical pain or this is because my dad died. Or this is because I forgot laundry or what have you, or this is, you know, anyway, I feel like it's when, you know, when, when something speaks to you, that, that, like that moment of this, the homeopath, just like sobbing and like talking about the loss of a loved one was just like a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, that is, feels like what's happening. That feels right to me. And I feel like I was then once I knew that this was the baggage that I was carrying, I was able to unpack it. And that, that felt really good to me. And I feel like, and maybe it is just a mental game where it's like, Oh, sure. If that feels right, then your brain can like start to, to work on fixing yourself. But regardless that it's just pretty remarkable because we have this innate ability to heal ourselves and we're all seeking that. So Finding the tools that you need and the causes can be so powerful. Yeah, it's like when there is pain coming up, it is a a moment of like the world or your body is telling you something. And sometimes it's it's not, you know, sometimes it's just like there's nothing you could do. You're going to feel this because it's a thing, you know, Um, but a lot of times the pain is a symptom of something deeper that's going on. And yeah, that 
instead of saying like, yeah, how can I get rid of this pain more? Like, what is this pain telling me and where is it, where is it really coming from can be in certain cases, a really powerful question. I think I'll end it with a quote from the great Julie Peachtree. She says, the common cold is, sorry, the common cold, you can't cure the common cold because the common cold is the cure. And I feel like there is some, uh, yeah, it's not Julie, but she just says that every once in a while. Um, It's the idea of maybe the cause is, or sorry, the symptom is not the cause or the cause is not the symptom. And we need to reverse our thinking and be like, oh, this is my body trying to tell me something that's important for me to start listening. The common cold is the cure for someone that's leading too much stressors in their life and they're like non going nonstop, burning all the candles. They just need to stop for a second. And that is like a reframing. So we'll leave it there for this week. I'm sure we have some more unpacking to do though. And I'm excited to get into some, uh, some other, um, some other baggage, you know, bum. That's right. Let's pack our bags for the week, Dave. Pack them up. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. <laughs> you got to pack them up in order to unpack them next week. Oh yes. Yes, sir. Dave, I think well, we're ready for the, the gut check. Gut check. Gut check. Gut check. All right. I'm enjoying the gut check. I got a gut check for you, Dave. I'm on, on tap for asking the gut check question. So Dave, I want you to give me your gut check on this one. What are the chances, the same as last week, one to 10, one is only if hell freezes over 10 being super, super probable, like only if something big blocks it. Yep. What did your gut say about this summer in the United States, the idea of plane travel will be as normalized as it was before the pandemic? Oh, man. Bob, I'm going to give you a 10 out of 10 on that one. 10 out of 10? <laughs> yeah. There's not a doubt in my mind. I okay, so I have not been on a plane, but uh, I do know people that have been on planes, and I think that okay, here's a fact for you. Here's a little factoid for you. Uh, did you know? So the normal house, the air will totally circulate, meaning like all the air will move through a house in about an hour and a half. In most like establishments, businesses. It's anywhere from three to six times per hour. Okay. So way faster. Way faster. On the New York City subway, it's 18 times an hour. And on most planes, it's 22 times an hour. So every, every, a little less than three minutes, all the air on the airplane will be circulated, which is just an interesting thing for COVID, what have you. But I feel like people are just like ready to like, forget that COVID ever existed. And I feel like they're just going to move on and we'll see if it it's enough, if we've done enough, or if there's enough people still willing to fight the battle and wear our masks. 
Seven. My gut. Yeah, tell me why. My gut says seven. Um, I think you're right. I think people are craving it and uh, just the way U.S. society is. And I also know folks who have done plane travel over the last year and, um, you know, but it's interesting, like, they don't necessarily uh, mm-hmm. publicize it, right? Because, um, like, overall, it's not something that, like, we're supposed to do. Um, and I just, well, I just think that there is enough folks who are still in the mindset of, like, until the virus is, including the, the variants, are really controlled that both being in a small space, even if there's good air circulation, you're still near people and airports themselves are still also hard to social distance. So I think that including myself, I I feel that way that I still feel um, like not ready to take a plane, um, even though I would love to. Um, so I, th- I think there's enough people like me out there that it won't be normalized like it was before. It'll still be contentious, even though I do think yeah. we'll be seeing it in higher numbers. Yeah. And at, at the very least, I would say that people will be, there will at least be some people wearing masks on airplanes, if not most people, and if not all people moving forward for the next year, at least so into the summer. So maybe I'll go down to a nine. Um, because that will, there will be some difference in feelings on being on an airplane. Absolutely. All right, Dan, we got through it. You want to give uh, the kind folks our coordinates? Yeah, I'll give the kind folks and the mean folks our coordinates. Oh, did you see I posted a few new TikTok videos, Bob? Oh, they're great. Yeah, highly Good. recommend them. All right. Well, check me out. Dave Peachtree on TikTok. I don't know <laughs> we'll if you can TikTok. <laughs> start on TikTok, the old fake one. Um, and thriving underscore in underscore dystopia on Instagram. Website thrivingindystopia.com. We got Dave Peachtree at gmail.com and bmaze19 on Twitter. We are hella reachable, we as are. you say in California. Get a hold of us. We love it. Um, I need to do a better job at getting back to people, but you know, that's why you listen to the show. I'll get back to you here. Don't you worry. That's that's right. Dave will integrate it into the show. All right, Bob. Love you. See you next week. Okay, Dave. Pack your bags. I'll see you next week. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is Stay by Valerie June. See you next week. I can't put thought I lost it Having you in my life was a show